Welcome to episode 7 of the Coaching Badges podcast. We hope that despite the current lockdown, you're keeping yourself busy and managing to coach your players in different ways. In a break from our usual format, tonight myself and Mark are joined by two very special guests. Regular listeners to the pod will know that on every episode, we try to bring people on to offer different perspectives on a wide range of variety of subjects from the world of sport, football and coaching. And this week, we're delighted to have Stillian Petrov and Gareth Farley on the pod. I'll try and make this intro as brief as I can, lads, while also trying to do justice to the great playing careers you both had and indeed continue to have. So Stilian is Bulgaria's most capped player of all time with an incredible 106 caps. He achieved legendary status and hero status during his seven years at Celtic. He also spent seven years at Aston Villa, captaining the club and becoming a firm fan favourite. His career was sadly halted abruptly in 2012 when he was diagnosed with leukaemia. And Stillian has since retired from playing, but has gone on to do his coaching badges and has worked across several areas of the game. Gareth is an Irish former professional footballer. He played for Aston Villa, Everton and Bolton Wanderers in the Premier League. He's a former Irish senior international also. He was player manager at Bohemian FC for two years. Gareth hung up his boots in 2008 after a life-threatening illness. And after his playing career ended, Gareth returned to education and qualified as a solicitor in 2018. Both Stillian and Gareth are graduates of the UEFA Master for International Players program. Lads, it's an absolute pleasure to have you on the pod. You're both very, very welcome. Thanks, Gareth. We're looking forward to it. I hope you've got better questions for us. (laughs) Yeah, we've a few. And uh, listen, you know, we, we've, we've never had two guests on. So, you know, feel free to jump in and out of the questions. We'd love if you both answered them. But uh, we, we'll start into them and see where that takes us. Is that OK? Perfect. Yeah, great. No I suppose from my own point of view, I'll put it out there as a as a Celtic fan all my life. And it's a little bit awestruck sitting here talking about one of my heroes. But we'll, I've been warned that I would talk about Celtic too much today. I'll get cut off. But also with Garrett, who I've followed enormously on social media and how he's changed and moulded his career over his, uh, his life so far um, and how he's branched out. I think it's really, really important that people understand that and get to understand a little bit more about these two and what they can offer. Follow you guys even on LinkedIn and on some of the new ventures and new business that you do. But I want to take you back to the early days. What or why did you get involved in football or what was it that actually sparked that initial interest in football or was it a person? For God's sake, Mark. I'm 40 now. I forgot about it. Uh... <laughs> Let me try and remember. No, I, I, I didn't have a choice. I didn't have a choice. My, uh, my family was very sporty. My father was uh, a former player. My mother was a PE teacher. So my dad would take me to the stadium uh, every day. I'll watch his training. Uh, I'll be kicking the ball around him. Uh, my granddad was working at the stadium as well. So literally, I didn't have a choice. When I'm thinking now, actually, I, it was no choice for me. What I, stadium was that? It was uh, it was uh, in my uh, hometown, Montana Stadium, which uh, I, I had I cherished a lot of good memories. I've watched my dad play. Um, I've seen my grand granddad working at that stadium as well, and I saw myself developing as a young athlete and a young player as well uh, through every age group. So it's it, it's not the best stadium. I'm, I'm not gonna lie to you, but it, I cherish a lot of great memories. This will happen with Stan now, where every question he make out that he hasn't prepared a brilliantly scripted answer to bring the whole family into it and get it sorted straight away. He's never so thought about think, that. He's never thought about that, has he? Uh, no, <laughs> what, no. That's just what's the position. Up. What's the position on passes and being able to come back to that answer or that question later? <laughs> where, 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 where will we get to with that? Garrett, this is not a competition, okay? <laughs> what about you, Garrett? How did, how did you start no, football? Slightly, yeah, slightly, slightly different. Not like that. I think it's just it's one of those things that people kind of perceive that you've got a natural ability or a talent for something, and it, it, there's different levels to that. So I think if if I look back, and again, I haven't given it a lot of thought either. I think that's going to be some of the interesting thing with some of the questions today is trying to take your memory back to that far back now. But I think um, I started in the Brentford North Dublin League, would have been playing locally with Canvara Boys. That was my team where I lived, and that was that was it. And I, I really enjoyed it. And you'd play for your own team, say, on a Saturday, and then you'd play for the team a year up straight after you'd finished your game. And then over a few years, I think people start to recognise that you were possibly a little bit better or you started to take an interest in who the, the bigger 
um, clubs, schoolboy clubs would have been. And for me, I kind of identified that myself, which was Home Farm, because obviously Home Farm would have had the reputation as being the lead schoolboy club at that time, to the point where I actually made the decision myself that I was going to go and have a trial at Home Farm, which took place in Moby Road in Dublin. And I went up and said, well, listen, I want to, I'd like to play for Home Farm. Can I join in the trial? And they were happy to have me and kind of that was that was it. So I think there's kind of a, a pre-trodden path, if you like, that when people identify you've got talent, there's different sort of signposts at different times as you develop. So like you move into, move from like Brentford North Dublin League, which would have been a smaller league at that time, into the DDSL. And then there's that kind of pathway that everybody's followed, which would be the Kennedy Cup. And then starting to get your head around the junior international teams. And by that point, then you're possibly starting to think about potentially having the opportunity to move to England, sign for a club, and then potentially the first step on the ladder of looking at developing and having a career. Yeah, it's interesting. Sorry, just it's interesting you say all that. And, and obviously both of you, especially Stadion there, mentioned about his family. But but just early days, like when you were starting playing as a youngster, was there someone or a coach or someone that you kind of that stuck in your head that kind of made that impression on you or kind of sparked that interest or made you feel that you could actually go and achieve something? Uh, to be honest, I, I was really lucky, a lucky player and a boy when I was growing up because I always worked with uh, very ambitious coaches, very ambitious coaches. There were good coaches as well. Uh, I think my development was uh, really well structured. I've managed to, to work under coaches which they knew what exactly I needed in a different stage. Uh, they, they knew that I was, a, I was a good character. They knew that I was well behind technically than everybody else. So they would that would help me understand that I have to work harder. I have to pay more attention to my technical ability. I wasn't the biggest in the team as well, uh, but because I had that uh, aggressiveness, I had the determination, they always put me with the bigger boys. So what, what, I've, what I've learned very quickly, that those coaches tried to help me, not just to become quicker, but to show me that I have to work harder than anybody else to achieve and to be, to be better. So in that kind of sense, I, I had the pleasure to work with uh, with the right coaches, I would say. I think remembering and going down the ladder, I've worked with coaches which they understood me, they understood my weaknesses. They worked really hard on my uh, my weaknesses and they kind of tried to polish my uh, my strengths, which my strengths were, were just a competitive side of it. I was, uh, I, I was really... Uh, willing to improve very quickly. I would work harder than anybody else. If they tell me to work extra two hours, I work extra four hours. So they, they knew that was the case. So I was given the right, uh, the, the right tools and the right lessons and the right coaching from the early age, which helped me to understand the game and understand me to develop quicker than, than, than others. But also, I wanted to develop. I wanted to improve. And I've paid attention to it. Yeah, it's, it's think, great advice to any podcast player. Podcast, and I've, I've listened. I've, I've listened to the, the podcast, and you talk about coaches listening in. I think one of the key ones is obviously parents support. So I think you talk about taxi drivers, and you talk about yeah the the commitment and the demands for young players now, be it two, three nights a week in your game at the weekend, and and the challenges that that can bring. I think in my case, again, alongside thinking, right, I want to be as good as I can be as a footballer. The first thing that helped me greatly was there was a an international athlete who lived close to me, who was who ran four and eight hundred meters, Mary McKenna, Mary McManus, and my, my dad met her, and basically initially it was like, well, he can come and train and run with me if he wants to, and then you've got this conception in your head that you're really really fit, but then you moved into the athletics world and you started to see how um, self motivated athletes were, and the amount of work they put in and how hard they worked. And then you obviously were able to train with her, which kind of gave me an additional level straight away because your fitness is at a level above and beyond kind of what you were doing from a football point of view at that time. And then back to, say, the support network of a family or good coaches is that I trained with those. So, like, I didn't, well, I was playing schoolboy football. I was training with and looked to train twice a week with the Bose first team. I think it was CYM, like Eamon Gregg and Morris Price. So, like, you had the ability to be able to go and tap into some of the players who were there. Robbie Best lived up the road from me. He was, he was a friend. And like, like so as a 14, 13, 14 year old, 
you were able to take part in their training on a Tuesday and a Thursday. Now, most of it was, was running and physical sessions. But again, it was something that gave you an advantage then when you were looking to play yourself. Because like Stan says, you were probably challenging yourself because you were immediately playing with people that were a little bit older than you. So whilst you wouldn't have had any physical presence or stature, you started to have to problem solve and look at improving certain areas that would give you the ability to compete even even on a small level. Brilliant. You know, it's it's funny, guys. We, we're talking about the players and development of young players. If you look at it before, when I was growing up, probably Gareth got, got, got was the same. The coach wouldn't look at your age. If you're 13 and you can play with the with the 15 and you can play with the 16 and with the 17, if you can compete, you're straight in. You're straight in. There's not going to be question about it. I was I was 15. I was playing with under 21, and I will yeah. fight and I will, I will bite on the pitch and I will, I will run as much as everybody else. And I'll come off that pitch, you know, tired, exhausted, but I'm there. I wanted to be there. Now, if you look at it, it's, it's talking about he's 15. He can't play with the under 17. I think it's the, the two-year the two gap is too much. There was no such a thing before. The coaches will push you actually to play uh, with the bigger. They'll push you to get to the first team as quick as you can. If you're ready, if you have the ability, if you show the right re- development, you're in. You're in, you get your chance, and you, you, you try to... Maintain it. You try to to hold that chance and make sure that you get that opportunity uh, and you you hold to it. Because and uh, Gareth mentioned about parents. My my parent was my dad was like a former player, and he he won't leave me alone. <laughs> I leave him alone. Honest, uh, honestly, guys, he was like he was so demanding on me. Uh, some people call it old fashioned. Uh, I understand now where the people are coming from, but he, he was my dad, and he, he was a former player. He watched my sessions. He watch my games, and I would know if I train badly, he won't put me in a car. He will literally make me walk home, 35 minutes walking home, and he will literally drive with the car behind me. Would that what, what would that make me think of what I've done wrong, what I could have done better, where I could develop better? Have I received the ball in the right uh, in the right way? Have I passed in the right way? Have I made the right run? Have I put enough effort in this training? You know, you're just thinking, why is he not putting me in a car? What is he trying to show me? If I play, if I play well, or I train well, or you've seen something, you put me in a car and you ask me a question. What do you think you've done right today? Why do you think uh, uh, we're having this discussion? So, first of all, you make me self-educate myself and to be critical to myself and make sure I understand how I develop and find out what's the best way to develop my, uh, myself and analyze my game. So as much as we're talking about parent, my parent was, my, my dad was completely different. He was very demanding. Uh, he won't talk to me for a week if I, don't, if I don't do well. So I knew straight away, if, he, if I do well, you talk to me very quickly and you make sure that I understand what, what we're talking about. So it's very, it's, it's very difficult these days with the, with the young kids. Uh, I think I found it more easier the way we grew up because you had the freedom, you could uh, uh, create your own uh, thinking, you can become more powerful, you can become more independent. At the moment, I feel, and I have uh, two kids as well, guys, uh, I feel like they're waiting for us to give them the information, to sell that information there, to show them what exactly to do, to show them how to train, to show them what, to show them what kind of uh, exercises they have to do. Rather than go and do it yourself, go and search, go and educate yourself. They don't have that, which sometimes you see with coaches and you see with players as well. It's I think, I think, point. sorry, I, mean, I think the, the, the other point, just as a soft point on that, is there's a, there's a fine line and a balance to be found between development and obsession. And like yeah. you say, is that we, we, we can talk about that. Everybody will have their own idiosyncrasies as to how they would have reviewed a game or different things. But going home, you know what I mean, and getting a kick up the backside because you didn't do something right on the Sunday morning. Like There's a whole host of different issues around that, but I think it probably builds a different type of resilience, especially there's a different pressure as well if your parents been a footballer before you because you grow up and it's like, that's what the normal, that's what you've always seen yeah. and that's, how, that's the world you've come from. And again, everybody's kind of path is different in relation to that. We speak about this a lot and it's great to hear you guys talking about this. We feel, and I know from experience, like we're coaching teenagers for the last 10 years. So we're from, from around 15 to 19, that kind of age. And a lot of the time they don't get or they can't accept honest, critical, constructive feedback because they've been told all their lives how brilliant they are and it's dressed up for them too much 
in terms of probably overinflating their ability. Um, so we need to be, you know, really clear with them without being brutally honest, because we, we understand the responsibility we have in, in stripping down a kid's confidence. We don't want to do that. But you got to be honest and you got to be demanding and you got to expect high standards because otherwise they won't ever achieve their, their kind of maximum potential. So it, it's good to hear that. Yeah, but Gav, again, this comes back to your ability and your development as a coach. And it's not just your football experience that that yeah. comes into you. It's your individual values. So you're talking about authenticity and integrity and your value as an individual. And then that comes across into your coaching, your philosophy or how you deal with people or interact with people. Yeah. And again, based on that intelligence, and it's not just either a footballing intelligence, but it's an emotional intelligence as to how you deliver that message. So like you say, there may be a, a brutal, frank honesty required but it's how you deliver that. And then yeah. it's like you say, it's how you forge and develop a relationship with those players. And like you say, 15 to 19, they've obviously had a number of years where they have had a different football education that yeah. may not necessarily be a positive experience. And again, you, you have a coaching, what they may have learned through those key years, formative years in some ways. And then obviously you've got the family situation as well. So, so it's difficult. So I agree with you with regards to the honesty, but again, it's an individual basis, mm. isn't it? So once, oh. once there's a core value system within your team about how you're going to run your team and how you want to operate and develop a philosophy and look to make all of those players better, there's no one size fits all, is there, with regards to that? But I think what you want to come back to is and when you look at the top coaches is that they have that, there's an essence and there's a, there's a quality to them. And again, then the players will buy into that. And as, as they buy into it, then you've got the ability to be able to give them those messages in a different way. No, it's 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 fascinating. You could talk about it all day. And uh, certainly, I think it has changed, like the coaching landscape and those relationships pieces and that building over the last number of years has improved dramatically. Um, but look, that's good to see. But look, we could talk about it all day, but there's so much more we'd like to talk to you guys about. Uh, it was brilliant to hear you both talking about like your early and formative clubs like Montana, Kinvara, Home Farm. It, it's fantastic that everybody still has that kind of relationship and fond memories of their, their early clubs. But look, you've both played for some huge clubs, um, Celtic, Aston Villa, Everton. So I'd, I'd love to just get, and I know it's very hard to think of just one or two memories, but what are your fondest memories of those clubs? Success. I think uh, with the clubs that you've mentioned, they, they have a very rich uh, history. Uh, they've got a, a powerful fan base. When you play for, club, uh, for clubs like that, it's, it's, uh, success is, is, a, is a high de- in high demand. Uh, you go to these clubs only if you deserve because uh, they only buy players that deserve and, and are fit to, to wear that, the jersey. I was really proud, you know, playing for two um, European w- winners, which is Celtic and, and Aston Villa. Both teams had the same values, uh, same uh, DNA. Uh, both teams uh, had a, a very passionate uh, fans as well. So for me, it was really privileged and I've been a, a lucky man to play for, for clubs like Celtic and uh, Aston Villa uh, as well. So uh, when you put them uh, under, under one umbrella and you try to separate them, you can't. Because both teams have the same the same uh, urgency, the same desire to win, to win trophies, and to have, to develop players, to make players achieve as much as they can. So I've been lucky in that sense. Brilliant. I, I would say the same. Possibly Everton again, slightly different in the fact that I was an Everton fan as a kid. So that was something that I'd always set as a dream, which would be to play for the team I support, and I was able to do that. It is quite funny now because I put a disclaimer in is that having moved on now and within a second career, you very rarely give thought to what you did in the past. And as you get older, it's becoming it's becoming more and more remote. So it's like you think back of Aston Villa, I was like 17. And like you say, life life never stops moving. But I suppose as your life moves on and you have different experiences, it becomes something that was important. But obviously now, irrespective of having played football for a number of years and now moving into a second career and looking to do the transition if you like those kind of characteristics or traits if you like that helps you be successful as a as a footballer they don't really leave you so you're still striving in that second career to be the best you can be to get to the top to make a difference and to have an impact so I think it's it's quite interesting again with the talk today is that we're both kind of thinking back if you like to deal with some of the questions which is which is relevant again to the podcast but I think the part from an athlete point of view is that that your life moves on and that football you, you have these highlights and you have these um, elements that people perceive as being the pinnacle if you like but obviously it's such a short period of your life like I, I was fortunate to play for 16 years 
Dan, how long we how long we how long we playing? Professionally. Yeah. Uh, sixteen as well. Yeah. So it's it's when you look at the average Premier League career now, it's eight years. I think to have had a professional career for sixteen years is we were very very fortunate. It's massive. And when you consider, you know, please God, you will live long into the future. And, and the average age that a man lives to now is 85, 84, 85. So 16 years in that respect is is relatively small space of time. You know what I mean? So it is nice to hear you talking about other things. And I think that that moves us on nicely because I know you're both after being involved in setting up player for player. And we, we'd love to just hear a little bit more about it. And and tell us what it, what it is and, and what key advice you now start to help players get in relation to their careers and, and protecting their interests. Oh yeah, well you just we just we just moved nicely from one topic to another and they're both both uh, both very related because uh, we looked at it. Some of us are quite lucky to have a 16 years of professional football. Some of us had a, a long career. Some of us had a, a successful careers, but many many haven't. And we forget, you mentioned the age, average age that you live is 80 to 85. So if you look at, if you look at something, if we retire at 30, say 35, what are we going to do for another 50 years? We have to find a, a new structure because when you're in football, everything is structured for you. You have to lose, uh, you have to find a new focus. What are you going to be focused on? You've played all your life. You've prepared everything, everything about being a footballer, but all of a sudden that's taken away for you. So that identity has been taken away from you. So you have to create your new identity. So what we're trying to do with uh, Player for Player, we started something very special, very special um, that we, we cherish uh, so much. It's something that we try to give those players, current and former players, uh, guidance and mentoring to understand what is life after football, what is life through football, and how to protect them and make sure we're given the right tools and the right knowledge to understand how to proceed after their career finish and to give them a chance to create more opportunities for them to become something else and to create a new identity for themselves after they finish football. I, th- I think it's a brilliant idea. Brilliant. I, th- yeah. I think the simplest part is that, the part of that, Gavin, I think, is, I think it's players helping players. And I think we, we, we can talk about different things that, well, again, you talk about highlights. I, I would look back on my career as one of underachievement like Stan had, had an incredible career I think I think I showed my potential at different times but I never fulfilled it and I think that the, there's a number of reasons to that that I wasn't mature enough or present enough or aware of enough at a given time to be able to recognise different things at different times with regards to player for player I think one of the really really well a brilliant experience was the fact that we kind of all met each other on the UEFA Masters programme and I, I know we're, we can talk about that because again for me it goes from an education point of view of having been out of education for the duration of your footballing career to then step back into education to return to university and study law. There was a pathway there and people talk about education, but I think within education, you have to include learning. And I think once you start learning, there's an incredible stimulation in that and it's incredibly rewarding. And the, we all then met each other, if you like, through the, through the master's programme and the nice thing about that was everybody's kind of at a similar stage where they're trying to figure out what they want to do when they finish playing football. And it's comforting that you don't have to have an answer immediately. Different people will be further on in their development, be that roles in clubs or be it associations, federations or following a coaching pathway. And I think the relationships are kind of built in the evenings when you would go out for something to eat and you socialise. And I think there's a, an absolute honesty around the challenges that you face because like, like Stan said, it is quite an unusual profession with regards to the fact that on a Saturday you could have played your last game and be a footballer and then on the Sunday you're done. Yep. And the different challenges yeah. Stan's mentioned around identity, there's not many professions like that where you end up thinking, well, hang on a second, what, what's this about? And it, it can be, and it's incredibly well publicised how challenging that can be for people. So I think that over the kind of duration of the 18-month programme, as you get to know each other better and as you have all of these honest discussions, you kind of identified, well, hang on, there's, there's a need for this. There's a, there's a need for it on a micro level around our own individual networks. And then as you become more experienced, and the nice thing about the course is you're dealing on a global level, on a world level. There's people, participants on the course from all over the world. You can 
realise that, well, hang on, these, a lot of these challenges are not solely unique to UK, Northern yeah. Europe, Ireland. It's actually, this is, this is the journey, the experience and the challenges that players face everywhere. So for us, it was like saying, well, right, we'd like to be able to set something up that will, would help assist and aid people with that, with that transition. And that's where it was kind of born out of. Brilliant. I think that's really interesting, and, and I love the fact that you touched on education. Our last guest, Conan Warren, um, was is a big advocate of, of education in um, in football, and I suppose it leads me to two questions near the end. One, can you tell us a little bit more about that master's program and what the what the detail and what it entails? And also, do you think there's certain players when they come towards the end of their career that the challenges they have to get in their head or get their head around is how they make that break from being that elite athlete into something more academic. So maybe if you could touch on the course and give us some of the detail of what that course entails um, and then maybe think talk about some of the challenges some of the um, footballers are coming at the end of their career that they face that they need to kind of overcome. Yeah, I can I can break it. Actually, I can answer the question, uh, in the both question in one because before I started uh, the, the MIP, which is the Master of International Players, it's, it, I, was, I was petrified. I mean, you can, you guys can um, can imagine that uh, we've been out of school for many years. We haven't touched the book, many of the many books. Okay, you would do your own uh, enjoyable reading. You would try to educate yourself in a, in a different way. But when you're talking about education, when you're going back, we're talking about going back to school. I mean, we're going back to school from from eight in the morning to eight in the evening. I mean, uh, you know, at at, at that age, uh, you know, we at least we we're getting older now, so the patient is not there. Uh, and we have to make that decision. And making that decision for us is because the football is changing. Football is evolving. And uh, you guys are doing a lot with, uh, with coaches. Unfortunately, don't realize that the coaching, the coaching is just the basics of everybody doing that because the clubs are not getting... We don't get more clubs. We don't get more jobs. But unfortunately, we get more coaches. Why is that? Because we get more players retiring. More players retiring, less jobs, less opportunities... So you have to look for something else. So what MIP has given us, has given us understanding of how the football family works, where we can put our focus to, how we can develop, how we can get the best tools for us to understand administration and business side of uh, sport. If you look at the program, the program we join, most of the participants now are, are working in different fields. A lot of them are working in national associations, clubs, uh, charities, media sponsors so you can see there is a different variety of opportunities and when you've been given that education when you've been given that platform network and connection that you've got better chance to stay in football in different capacity i don't know if that's clear for you guys no oh, that's perfect absolutely and you've explained that to me <laughs> <laughs> no listen that that's crystal clear and it actually in fact it, if you don't mind it it leads me on to another question that i'd like to talk about because look it's difficult enough to finish your footballing career and, and as you said gareth all of a sudden have your identity from saturday kind of finish and on a sunday you're going wow what am i now but both of you also had the additional misfortune of, of falling afoul of illness in your life and, and it resonates with me because I myself found out that I had cancer just shortly after I had finished playing at 30. Um, and I know the impact it had on my own life. So I'm just wondering if you don't mind uh, what effect do you think that your own experience with illness had on your lives? Oh, wow. Where should I start the effect? <laughs> wow. uh, well, it completely changed my life. I have completely talked about my life, how the, my, my life will be structured, what I'm going to do, how I'm going to proceed with it. So that was stopped and that was changed in the space of one decision. And that was telling me that I was, um, I was diagnosed with, uh, with cancer, leukemia. So first of all, I had to put everything on hold. All my um, planning, uh, I was plan, plan, plan. I would do this. I was negotiating a, a negotiating a new contract with with Aston, with Aston Villa. I was ready to to call the day when I was 35 to 36. So I was planning to do my coaching, and I was planning to do something else on the side. And all of a sudden, that was taken away from me. So my question next was that: What's next? What I have to do? First one is survive. Forget about everything else. Forget about everything I thought before. 
that I could do, I could be. First of all, is, is, is fighting for my life, fighting to still be a parent, fighting for still to be a husband, fighting to see my kids grow up. This is the important things. This is the important things that sometimes as, as a human beings, we don't appreciate. And this is where, 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 where I, I was as a man, as a family man and individual, I had to fight for my life. Everything else was behind. Three years later, I managed to go through it. I went through a, a very strong and difficult uh, chemotherapies. Uh, it was a free, uh, free ups and uh, three years of ups and downs. I had very difficult moments. Uh, I had a mental breakdown. Uh, I stopped my uh, treatment at the end. So when you look at somebody who's going through something like that and ask him, what was your thoughts? What were you planning? I wasn't planning. I was just trying to survive. I was just trying to survive. And that was my, my initiative. That was my uh, target to survive. After I did that, then I had time to, to actually sit down, ask my, that question again, what I, want to be, uh, what, what I want to do next, what I want to become next. So I had to plan really good. I've, I've started planning about doing my coaching badges. Then I've joined the, uh, I've joined the MIP program as well. So in the space of nearly four years, I have managed to finish all my coaching badges. I've got my pro license. I have finished a, a great educational course. I've made some incredible people, incredible friends, incredible partners now in the, uh, in the company. So what we're planning, planning for, it never comes up. What we're trying to achieve never really comes up. What I dealt with is, is one, one thing at a time. First thing was to survive. Second thing to plan, plan and write. The third thing is to succeed. And I've managed to, this, uh, to do these three things. And I've done it step by step. Brilliant. So, so good to hear. And it is a difficult journey. But um, despite what you, you seem to have gone through, which is a hell of a journey, you, you seem very happy, upbeat and positive coming out of it the other end. That's, that's nice to hear. I'm not, I'm not happy. I'm on a diet at the moment. I'm hungry. <laughs> forget that they're they're they never work they never work mate never what about you gareth i know you've had your own your own battle with illness in the past uh, did it have a, a an effect on your life at the time no i think it's like sam and listen we talk about a podcast and probably an, an unusual like topic of conversation with regards to it but i think i'm part of 10 percent that live from the illness i had well so of course it's life-changing so again i'm not going to go into it been well documented with regards to the aneurysm and what happened and then obviously subsequently what happened afterwards and the recovery and stuff like that but yeah i would say it's it's, it's life it was it was life-changing for me and i can i can balance that out by saying i made a lot of mistakes in my 20s whilst i was playing football yeah but with regards to moving forward after that again i think like stan says there's a it's not a it can be prophetic or it can be uh reflection point for everybody but I think where where I would say I'm quite lucky is that with regards to moving forward and trying to not say justify your survival or justify your life moving forward is that you, you recognize the importance of your family like your family you recognize your kids you talk about the things that your kind of perception of how you see the world changes absolutely because you're you're faced with a situation that as your life is going on you don't really give any thought to the possibility or potential of something like that happening yeah, and then the next part becomes um, making the most of that opportunity. And I, I think you probably reflect at different times to see. Well, listen, hang on a sec. I would turn around and say, I was very, very fortunate. I played played football, like we said, for for quite a long time. I achieved all of those probably dreams or targets I would have set out as a young boy. But I look upon my life now, and it's actually getting better. And I think that's the really interesting part is that you make a decision to go back to education after such a long time. And again, I, 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 I know Conan and I think he's, uh, he's exceptional. And the difference with regards to the discussion around education, as I said, is opening up that learning. And I think learning can be book learning, but it can also be life and experiences. And I think you look then at looking to be involved in things and building things where you can look to leave a legacy around what you're doing. And I think that's kind of where it's at now. So, and I'm sure, Gavin, for you, and I, I don't know the details of your, your, your illness, but it's like you still have the same world problems that everybody else has. You don't yeah. open the curtains every morning and go, oh, my God, look at that beautiful sky and the grass is 
thrown the next morning, but I'm saying it certainly gives you a different perspective and outlook on everything. And I think in that respect, I would turn around and say, firstly, that I'm very, very lucky, but I'm still as driven and you want to continue to achieve and be involved in, in positive things. Great. Uh, superb to hear. Superb. We, we might just take you back into the world of football. Though. Yeah, I think it's pretty inspirational to listen to you. Isn't it? it's, it's obviously, um, it has, as you would imagine, a massive effect on your life and everything else. But I think it's really positive to hear that, like how you have actually changed, adapted. And, and as you said yourself, Gareth, I've actually moved into a new space where you're actually happy and you're happier like, and you're more content. But I'm going to take you back and I'm going to just make it a little bit lighter. You know, you both have played football in in a time um, when more and more money is coming in and it's changed enormously. But if there's something that you could change about the game or if there's one thing that you didn't like or you would like if you had a magic wand, sorry, I was just saying there, if there was one thing that you could change about football, given your experience, both of you are playing for 16 years and given that um, you've seen the game change even in those 16 years from the amount of money that, that's gone into it. If you could change something, whatever way, grassroots or coaching, what would you like to see change within the game? Go on, Gus. I'll give you the honour here. I'll think a little bit longer on this one. <laughs> to, to be honest with you, I, I don't think it's a game anymore. I think football is in real, real danger at the moment. I think you look at it, and I'm not saying that I'm an idealist or a traditionalist with regard to the game. I think it's been quite fascinating during the pandemic because I still go to the games. I, I do some work for the Premier League. I'm a match delegate, which is involved in assessing and looking at the referees and the officials. And I think that with regards to the game we all love, and that be that goals, the pitch, 11 v 11, and the officials, I think football is quite unique with regards to the emotions that that uh, brings up in people. Uh, their, their affinity for their fans, their club, their association, and the the role that plays in everybody's lives. And I think that that runs, Mark, from grassroots right the way through to your big yeah. team, be it your, your Celtic, we all grew up in Celtic fans, and then you had your team in England or whatever. But I think, I think football is in real danger at the moment because I think the sad reality is the more money that's come into it and the more revenue-driven and the more elements around it, I think it's lost something. And I think we, we've spoken a lot about this and done a lot of different podcasts, Zooms, Teams, whichever medium you want to look at over a lockdown. And I think that the conversation in many ways should be what type of game do we want in three to five years? And I think that if you were to actually, football moves incredibly quick. Yeah. And I think because it moves so quickly, it's very, very hard to get a handle on a lot of things. And I think that if you look at the losses, if you look at the positions in the UK with regards to the clubs, which is probably transferable to Ireland on a smaller level, there's not a lot of clubs, despite record revenues, making money. And the sad reality is in that constant pursuit of more, there's a danger that the game is impacted negatively. And I think that's, that's the challenge at the moment, because I think what COVID has done is accelerate a host of issues that clubs were facing and were able to kick down the road, if you like, given the fact that they're dealing with guaranteed broadcast cycles and the bigger clubs are dealing with European revenues. And I think if you were to look through the game now and have a have an analysis and look at it in detail, if you look at National League, if you look at League Two, League One in the UK, if you look at Championship, if you look at the battles that are going on that you may not hear about every day, you talk about the salary caps that have been brought in, you, you talk about the challenges facing clubs outside of the big clubs. And let's be fair with the media and the, the madness that exists around an insatiable appetite for everything around football, 24-hour news cycles, that there's a lot of this get, gets lost. So you have, you have a particular group of elite clubs within Europe which set the agenda and the mandate for everybody. But then if you look across Europe and you look at the clubs on a smaller level, they're all facing incredible existential challenges rather than where's the next big deal going to come? And then you look at the knock-on impact of that on, on broadcasting and how that is affecting the game. And all of these kind of industries now that have, I'll use the word, infiltrated football, be it betting, be it different things that don't actually really bring anything to the game and are extremely parasitic. So I think the opportunity and the conversations that should be happening, which aren't, are around what type of game do you want in the next three to five years? Is it development driven? Is it sustainably driven? Is it about infrastructure for, for clubs? And, and that's across the board. And, and, I, and I think it's going to be a really, really interesting um, time to kind of sit back and see what happens with regards to that. 
Oh, there man, you go, Stan. Nice, easy one. I, I think there's a podcast in that alone, Gareth. There's so <laughs> much stuff you've covered there. But um, Stan, do you have anything to chip in on that? Yeah, I'll be I'll be very short. What I'll ask and what I'll change is ask people and clubs and parents in that for patience because we don't have a patience in this uh, uh, in today's football. Uh, everything is moving a hundred miles an hour. We want we've got parents who are impatient and they just want their kids to make as much money as they can as quick as they can. The kids want to go on the first team and and get the luxury like as as quick as they can. They don't forget that it's part of the development. They have to be patient. They have to develop develop in the right way. The clubs they're pushing parents. They're pushing kids to to become a, a stronger asset assets as quick as they can so they can make the margins on them. Then it becomes the federation, becomes to UEFA, FIFA. There is so many tournaments. Everything is involved about money, but everybody forget that all these and the important. Uh, uh, participants are the players and if we are not patient if we don't have that patient to develop them in the right way to do the right things then we I think we're gonna we're gonna see football declining because it's it, it, they need time everything needs time and it looks like nobody nobody is looking for time everybody's rushing everything everybody want to succeed succeed as quick as as quick as you can so if I have to probably change or or ask for something is probably patient because if we are not patient with the, with the kids because they're the most important ones they grow up they become stars they become the most important players in in the industry and if you're not patient and you don't develop them and educate them in the right way then it's going to be very difficult to have a very sustainable football in the future brilliant two two great answers guys and and certainly so much more that you could go down a rabbit hole on lots of those areas. But yeah, but uh, Gavin, just to just yeah. to try and make it so, just in the context of the podcast again, I think even from coaches. So, uh, coaches, there's a again, there's a there's an appetite for you know constant development and about improving, and you can talk about sessions. But like, so we come back to the value value proposition again. But I think within that value system as well is there's a a requirement, if you like, that people continue to educate themselves and also to ask a different question. So as I say, you talk about a media narrative or you talk about people setting the agenda for how they feel you should behave or how you should act or what you should do. And again, that's very, very inconsistent. Do you know what I mean? And that can be dependent on somebody goes, well, one year, that's the new philosophy and that's the new, we should all be doing this. And then it's like, there's a frenzy around a particular success. And those people don't see the 10 to 12 years of work that have gone into actually building that. So it's like, you know, it's a ticky-tacky model. Well, now it's a German model and yeah. then it's a physical model. and then it's a, So I think for, for, for the coach's point of view, in regards to what you're looking to develop as a coach, but also trying to uh, filter and navigate through the, the world of noise that we're kind of existing in at the moment is to ask a different question. And I, I say that quite a lot and to hold people to account because I think that's a key point as well with regards to these things that... Massively important. It's become very, yeah. very easy for people just to make. It's it's become far too easy for people just to make noise and for that to be taken as just so. And yeah. I think it's important. Couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. People, I think, and and that's not about um again. We look about. It's not just football when you look about what we're living through at the moment, such a strange time. But I mean, it's it's the ability to hold people to account and challenge them. And I think then I think that will be hugely beneficial for everybody because as opposed to a puff piece and a PR world where we've said it and we've got it out there that you have to actually dig a little bit deeper. And I think that will, that will help people develop further. Absolutely. You've mentioned the word coach a number of times there, which is superb because you know, a lot of our listeners are coaches, but you've also mentioned the word values a number of times as we've talked. So I'm I'm just interested to know what do you guys think are the the qualities or values that a good coach should have? Uh, And could you both tell us, you know, uh, who were the best coaches that you guys worked with and why? Um, I've worked with a number of good coaches. I can I can probably pick out two of these coaches, which is one is Martin O'Neill, uh, and the other one is uh, Gordon Strachan, two completely different manager uh, managers. Uh, I think those managers they they have different kind of qualities and different kind of skills. I always looked into a manager to be a to be a leader, to to be a good uh, communicator, which is which is very important. Clarity and uh, clarity is very important. Positivity. I wanted to, my my managers and good coaches. They're always positive. They always believe that you can do better, and they always believe that there's uh, there's room for improvement. Passion. 
knowledge about the game, not just about knowledge about the game you actually coaching and managing, about the opposition as well, because that's important as well. Good listener. I always had managers, uh, Martin and uh, Gordon, probably I'll, I'll pick them too. They were good listeners. They always uh, observed everything very well. Compet competitive and composed. You have to be composed when you're a manager. So if I have to pick some qualities, probably that's, that's the one that I've mentioned earlier. Admirable qualities indeed. What about yourself, Gareth? Well, I think it's the good and the bad, isn't it? I think you, you look back and there's people who will have, um, I think, charisma. I think if you were to talk about Howard Kendall, his players loved him and they wanted to play for him. And I think that was key. And again, from an Everton point of view, still have the uh, the bonus and the benefit of being able to speak to and see the players that played in what would have been Everton's best team historically in the 80s. And they would, talk, they would talk about that, the charisma dynamic. And then I think if you look at, there's a danger again that we just look at the kind of elite managers at the moment in the top clubs. But I think, again, you're back to looking at, not the buzzword of the day being the values, but there's an integrity around those people. And it's not yeah. just um, switched on and switched off. It's, it's, it's how they live. And I think that's one of the key things at the minute when you look at the better managers. And I think, again, from that, from the podcast and obviously the clues in the name with regard to the coaching podcast, but like the elements around being willing to look outside of football as well. And again, look at best practice and what people have been doing in certain different sports over a number of years that have brought them to the level that they're at now. And then not just looking at the now, but then having the ability to actually scrutinize and work back to where they started, how it was started, the people that were involved in it at the start and then having the patience and hopefully when Stan says about management, the ability to manage up and get people to buy into a collective vision of what you're looking to develop and do. Yeah, interesting. Oh, brilliant. So, guys, thanks very much. That's been absolutely brilliant chatting to you about that. Um, we'll finish out, uh, as we do every episode, uh, we ask our guests to pick their dream five-a-side team. It could be made up of anyone. It's your team. Uh, so it's entirely up to you who gets picked. So, Stillian, I might start with you. What's your, your five-a-side team, please? Uh, if I have to pick from, from who I think is, is going to be, I'm going to go with Neuer in goal. I mean, this small goal is five aside. Nobody will score against him. Paolo Maldini, I think we all agree with that. I'll pick him. Uh, I will go with Zinedine Zidane, Roy Keane. Uh, and I need another one, yeah? You can put yourself in. No, I'm going to go for Ronaldo. No Ronaldo Messi, I'm going to go for Ronaldo Ronaldo. The real Ronaldo. Oh, love it. Love it. Love yeah. <laughs> My only disappointment is there's no Celtic players in that. Like, I mean, not, and you don't need a goalkeeper in five aside. Hey, don't forget, don't forget Roy played for Celtic for a bit. Yeah, oh, that's awesome. I'll give you that. I'll give you that. But you there don't you go, need a goalkeeper in five aside. <laughs> hey, hey, you need one. Believe me. My head, my head's spinning there. Give me that again. That is some team. So Neuer... Neuer, Paolo Maldini, wow. Zidane, Keane, Ronaldo, Ronaldo. That's, that's incredible. That's incredible. There you go. Gareth, pick a team to play against them, please. I'm done as usual where he's prepared that team before the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> that's two teams. We did, one, we, we, we did one recently with regards to player for player we were asked to pick. So I would have, at the time, my one I went to, I was very diplomatic because I went with all of the members and the founders of Excellent. player for player, which was decent, but I think I would have said Neville Southall, what Paul a McGraw, keeper. Roy Keane. That was it. So you've got a decent Oh, yeah, you, you, can, you, can't, you can't have Roy. You're going to play against me. You can't play for both teams. <laughs> yeah. He's in, in the group stages. It's only when we get to the knockout. <laughs> and then uh, Yuri Jokayev and JJ Okocha. Oh, man. Oh, yeah. That that's a game I want to see. <laughs> so give that you you've got. Yeah, we, we can do it on FIFA. That'll be <laughs> it. It won't happen in real life. <laughs> give us that again, Gareth Southall. Neville Southall was incredible. Oh was man, amazing. what a keeper! And again, I, I grew up watching him and in awe of him, and then managed to be able to play with him. And he's he's an incredible uh, individual, and is doing some really really good stuff. Again, now very very socially conscious and does some awesome things and I think again with the lapse of time there's a danger and we talk about this is that people think football started and stopped in 1992 when the Premier League started whereas yeah. he was the best goalkeeper in the world and like people didn't even come remotely close to him and then Paul McGrath the best player I ever played with was a friend again had an 
incredible to grow up watching him at Aston Villa, training with him and then seeing, having been able to play with him. And then Roy Keane, again, was, was an incredible footballer. And then, as I say, from our time and the evolution of Bolton to play with, Yuri Jocka came in and he was incredible. And again, Yuri was on the Masters programme with us. He's now the head of the FIFA Legends programme. So again, to see him transition into a second career and do incredibly well. And then JJ Carr come into Bolton and was, was an incredible footballer. So as a five-a-side, wow. that's it. There's obviously, and this is the glory of me and Stan, is you can pick a five-a-side for different, you can have an Irish five-a-side, Celtic five-a-side, Villa five-a-side, it's different, but Absolutely. That, was the ready, that was the ready-made, pre-scripted five-a-side thing. Well, I, I have to say, I have no complaints Brilliant. with either Brilliant. of those teams. Guys, Listen, that, that brings us to the end of our chat. I'd, I'd love to keep going for hours and hours and hours, but it's been an absolute privilege chatting to you. We really appreciate your openness and your honesty. We wish you nothing but success with Player for Player. I think it's a fantastic initiative. I really hope to see that grow, and I think lots of people will benefit from that. And uh, look, just best of luck to you for 2021. Continued happiness, continued health, and uh, hopefully we'll see you somewhere down the line. Thanks again, yep. guys. Thank you, guys. Thank you so Take much. Thank you. You're welcome. Yeah. Brilliant, guys. guys. Thank you. Take it easy, boys. Take care. That's it, folks. The end of this special pod, episode seven. We hope that you enjoyed listening to it as much as we enjoyed putting it together. My thanks, as always, to Mark for co-hosting with me, in particular this week for getting the lads on board with us. A huge thanks and sincere gratitude to Stillian and Gareth for coming on to chat. I thought they were really interesting and engaging, two absolute top men forging ahead with their lives after playing and building new careers for themselves. We wish them nothing but success for the future. Finally, thanks as ever to all of the dedicated coaches out there for your own continued dedication to your players and indeed the pod. We really do appreciate your support and interaction with us. As always, please give the pod a follow and spread the word. Keep leaving us comments so we can improve how we help you with your coaching journey. Get in touch with us at Coaching Badges on Twitter. And remember, when it comes to coaching, there's no right or wrong way, but there's always a better way.